When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. <laughs> Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Hello there, MD Nation. This is Dan Mater, and I'm sorry for the weird opening to today's show, but I made the egregious mistake of not talking about Naeem Hines in the Fantasy Wire report when first recording this podcast completely slipped my mind even though he was my number one waiver wire pickup for the week so I wanted to make sure I talked about him and added him here in the beginning of this show and then we'll go ahead and you can enjoy the full episode so Naeem Hines is 34% owned on average throughout the major platforms remember we'll talk about this later on in the show but when we do waiver wire reports it has to be less than 50 percent owned on average between espn yahoo cbs sports nfl.com so i make sure you're getting a universal taste of what's available to you guys out there so naeem hines is 34 percent on average owned means he's widely available in a lot of your leagues and we talked about in yesterday's show in the recap with Philip Rivers. This offense is not Frank Reich's offense. It is a Philip Rivers offense. It means it is designed to be shotgun. It is designed to throw the ball a lot. It is designed for a Austin Eckler type running back to be a part of this offense. And that's exactly what Naeem Hines is going to be. I always thought he was going to have a role as a passing down back coming into this league. I always thought he was going to be there to eat into the ceiling of a Jonathan Taylor and what was Marlon Mack before he injured his Achilles and now is going to be out for the year. But now it looks like he's going to be even more involved than that. They were giving him carries in key situations. Whether or not that continues, it remains to be seen. But what is clear is that Naeem Hines will be involved in the offense moving forward, especially in the passing game. So if you're in a half-point, full-point PPR league, I am giving up my top priority for a Naeem Hines. I am willing to spend at least 40% of my fab budget possibly 50% to make sure that I get him because this is somebody who does have 
high-end RB3, low-end RB2 upside now in half-point, full-point PPR leagues, a dominant flex play is in the cards for Naeem Hines moving forward. Now, it's week one, so we don't want to get too overly, too, too overreactionary, too overly excited by it. But to me, this is one of the things we could take out of week one moving forward, that he is very much going to be a part of this game plan in that capacity, in a large capacity moving forward this season. So Naeem Hines is the number one waiver wire pickup for this show, for this week, and we would definitely do everything we possibly could to grab him and get him. So that wraps up our Naeem Hines analysis. Now you guys can go ahead and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. Hello, MD Nation, and welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, back here with the MD's fantasy football show, back here to recap the Sunday night, the two Monday night games that we had, and of course, my favorite part of today's episode, the waiver wire segment. And I have to say, one of my favorite parts about this particular episode is that it's one of the shortest episodes of the week because there's not as much to talk about in today's episode. But we still have a lot of significant things to talk about, important things to talk about, especially like the waiver wire and especially like the Sunday night recap and the Monday night recap. Now, hopefully, if you're listening to this show, if you're a part of MD Nation, you were either able to pull off a Monday night miracle or you were able to hold on for dear life through two Monday night games, always nerve-wracking, especially being on the East Coast when you have guys going in that Tennessee-Denver game that was at started at 10.30 on the East Coast, you don't get to watch the ending of that game, even though it might be a nail-biter for your fantasy weeks. Wake up on Tuesday morning with no sleep, which is what I'm doing right now because we're recording this show Monday night, so you guys can get this on Tuesday, hopefully by the afternoon. This will be available for you guys. And we might even know a few more things by then as well. Just to kick off the show, some things that we talked about yesterday that we weren't sure about or didn't have the official word on, like, unfortunately, a lot of unfortunate news. Blake Jarwin goes down, does have an ACL tear. Marlon Mack was confirmed to have an Achilles tear. So both of them are done for the year. And those are going to open some things up, and those are going to lead us to our waiver wire segment that we're going to talk about heading into week two. I have to say, it is one of the heavier waiver wire reports in today's show going into a week two than there has been in quite some time. Usually we get a heavy waiver wire report around the bye weeks, you know, mid-season where there's more injuries. It's a pretty significant waiver wire heading into week one. Some moves that are even going to warrant giving up your top priority or giving up a decent portion of your fab budget, quite frankly, something I don't like to do early on in the season, but you may find yourself in a situation that you have, frankly, no choice. So we're going to see exactly what happens here. But first, before we get into that, we're going to talk about the Sunday night recap. We're going to talk about the Rams. We're going to talk about the Cowboys. And this game was not quite what I expected it to be. There were some ups and downs to it. I thought it would be a little bit higher scoring than what it wound up being. Coming out the gate, though, the Rams offense, I have to say, looks good. It looks good. Sean McVay looked like he got back to his roots. Sean McVay looked like Sean McVay again, where there was a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of screens, a lot of end-arounds, a lot of trying to get guys in position to get mismatches, looking like Sean McVay again. So that's the exciting news. If you're a Rams fan, that's the exciting news. If you're a Robert Woods owner, Cooper Cup owner, maybe a Jared Goff streamer down the road, 
That's exciting news. On the flip side, that offense, it was very, very evident that that offense misses Brandon Cooks. They miss having that deep field threat that they can go to because they weren't able to take shots down the field in this game at all. And this is not a Dallas secondary that you should be afraid to throw down the field on, and they were unable to take shots down the field. Now, they wound up getting the win. It wound up being successful. But I do wonder when they play better defenses, when they play especially better secondaries, if they're unable to stretch defenses out, unable to keep guys out of the box, while that offensive line played decently against a solid defensive line yesterday, what's going to happen when teams start to realize that they can just squeeze them? And not just squeeze the running game, but squeeze the passing game as well. When those screens and end rounds aren't working as well because there's no threat to open the field down the field. And the only guy I can even point to who might give them a chance at some point is Josh Reynolds. He's the only guy who really has that capability to go deep. Nobody else does. Van Jefferson's more of a Cooper Cup type where he's more of a bigger bodied slot route running type of wide receiver. That's more what his build is. So it's going to be very curious to see what happens moving forward if defenses are able to just kind of squeeze them a little bit. So that was my note for the Rams offense in a a general sense of that and what that might mean for fantasy purposes down the road. But for this game, Jerichoff, he didn't have any passing touchdowns. He wasn't great for fantasy purposes necessarily. Did have an interception. But I think better days are ahead. Overall, He looked more confident to me than he did a season ago. And like I said, overall, this Rams offense looked more competent, looked better, looked more like themselves overall in this game. So that means Jared Goff's going to be a streamer at some point. Remember last year, which was a terrible year, Jared Goff still finished as a QB 13. Now, it was a down year for quarterback, down year for passing games in general, but he still finished as a QB 13. So this offense is going to be playing better then he's going to be a streaming option at some point in certain matchups. And of course, you'll you always keep up with me on bellyupfantasysports.com for the rankings every single week, and I'll let you know whether I think Jared Goff's a viable streaming option that week or not. The big storyline, though, from a fantasy perspective with this Rams team was the running backs, was Malcolm Brown, who we are going to talk about later in the waiver wire report. Spoiler alert. But Malcolm Brown was excellent in this game. He didn't just win out the carry battle with Cam Akers, 18-14. He didn't just win out the yardage battle, 79-39. to But the big thing was the efficiency. 4.4 yards of carry compared to Cam Akers, 2.8. And he got the two touchdowns. Now, the two touchdowns didn't surprise me. It did not surprise me because I knew going into this season, at least for the beginning of the year, and I felt as though it could wind up being a season-long thing. We'll see what happens. It's only week one. We don't get ahead of ourselves. But I knew going into this that Malcolm Brown was going to be looked at as the goal line back. This is a big reason why I was not big on taking Cam Akers in the fifth or sixth rounds, why I had him ranked as more of a double-digit guy, which I was pretty much telling you guys that I was not going to be taking Cam Akers, and I was telling MD Nation to not bother taking Cam Akers, especially with where he was going in ADP. Because... This was going to be a true three-man committee. And we didn't even get to see the third guy yesterday. Daryl Henderson had three carries for six yards. Remember, this was a guy that was very questionable heading into this week if he was even going to play at all. 
I was a little bit surprised that it even worked him in. And to me, that indicates that once he is healthy and ready to go, and that could be as soon as week two, he's very much part of Sean McVay's game plan. He does want to get him the ball. What happens when he gets more involved? Does he take over the passing down role? It's not Cam Akers. Malcolm Brown was the leading targeted guy on the day. Malcolm Brown was the guy who was out there on third and longs because he could actually pass protect. Another thing I was harping on about Cam Akers, why I was not big on him in his rookie season. He doesn't have a clear path unless there's injuries for carries. And like I said, he was one of the, he was one of the worst graded running backs when it came to pass protection coming out into the NFL draft. And I did not believe that that was going to suddenly correct itself. And it made me believe that his playing time would wind up being limited as a result. Now, he played a lot between the 20s. And technically, he's the one who started the game. But as you see here, Sean McVay stayed true to his word. Not only was it a committee, but he went with the hot hand. The hot hand was Malcolm Brown. He played very well. That Being that involved in the passing game to surprise me to some degree, but also keep in mind, like I said, Daryl Henderson was not fully ready to go. I do wonder if that changes when Henderson is, is more physically able to be a bigger part of the game plan. And like I said, we might see that in week two. They play the Eagles next week. I'm not going to be playing a Rams running back next week. But we will be talking about Malcolm Brown in the waiver wire report. Cam Akers, will ha- he'll have better days ahead. You're not dropping Cam Akers. Because at any given moment, he could have the hot hand. At any given moment, there could be injuries to Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown. And he could be a guy who's still a flex-worthy play in certain matchups. But he's not going to be in my starting lineup anytime soon. I can tell you that much. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. Now, I have been of the belief, and I'm one of the few. I feel like I usually am. Cooper Cup was out-targeted by Robert Woods. I've always been of the mindset that if I have to choose between the two, I'd rather have Cooper Cup than Robert Woods. My reasoning being is that, in general, I think by the time the season ends... They're going to be pretty similar to each other as far as targets go. The difference for me has always been that when they get into the red zone, Cooper Cup, not Robert Woods, is Jared Goff's go-to guy. And those opportunities are what open up and what gives me, puts me Cooper Cup ahead of Robert Woods in that scenario. That's the whole reasoning for it. Now in this game, Robert Woods was the lead targeted guy, 8-5. to Cooper Cup was still second. Robert Woods goes six catches, 105 yards. He does a Robert Woods thing. He gets you a good game. Doesn't score. Nobody scored for the Rams as far as the passing game goes, though. But Cooper Cup was kind of disappointing. Four catches, 40 yards. And that kind of goes in line with what surprised me about this game. I thought it was going to be a higher scoring game. So it's a little disappointing to see Cooper Cup in what I thought was should have been a juicy matchup. Only go for four catches for 40 yards. But better days are ahead. In fact, better days might be ahead as, as far as the Philadelphia Eagles go because Darius Slay's probably going to follow Robert Woods around the field. So it's going to be Cooper Cup most likely next week, and we'll get into that when we get into the previews on Thursdays and Fridays that you can find on your favorite podcast app or streaming on YouTube, Sportscaster, Facebook, Twitter, or Twitch. So these these are targets. These are going to go back and forth between Cooper Cup and, and Robert Woods. I don't look at this game saying, oh, the Robert Woods is definitely the lead targeted guy. This was his game to be featured. They're going to go back and forth. Cooper Cup just signed an extension. Remember that. They have to get Cooper Cup the ball. They just paid him. There's not a third receiver as of now to even contemplate in this offense. 
Like I said, they need a deep threat. And as more evident as that became, the more I thought to myself that Josh Reynolds may be getting more playing time than Van Jefferson moving forward rather than being the other way around because Van Jefferson's not the type of guy where Reynolds is, and they're going to need somebody to at least threaten down the field. So we're going to see what happens at that. But for a fantasy standpoint, it's Robert Woods, it's Cooper Cup, and that's about it. Tyler Higby was quiet in this game, four targets, three catches, 40 yards. But Gerald Everett did even less. And Gerald Everett actually came away this game with a back issue. We don't really know how severe it is. It doesn't sound like it's too bad. It doesn't sound like it's really going to make him miss playing time too much. But this is Tyler Higby's back. This is Tyler Higby's tight end position. He is the starter. He is the guy. Was it the big success that he had a season ago? No, of course not. But better days are ahead for Tyler Higby, and he's always been somebody who's been more of a streaming end tight end for me anyway. A high-end tight end, too. But he's going to have bigger days ahead as well. They did... Sean McVay, he mixed it up a lot. They played a lot of two tight end formations, but they also did a lot of 11 personnel, too. He did a good job balancing and mixing it up. So I'm not worried if... I'm not worried about anything on the Rams moving forward, like I said, outside of Cam Akers who I would be a little bit concerned about and won't be playing anytime soon. Now, on the Cowboys' side of the ball, everyone has better days ahead, starting with Dak Prescott. He has better days ahead. Didn't have a, From a fantasy standpoint, didn't have a terrible game in this one, just didn't have a great one. 266 yards, touchdown. He didn't turn the ball over, though. He did rush for 30 yards. So he didn't lose you the week, but he didn't have the big week that maybe you were hoping for in their big kickoff with all these new weapons. Amari Cooper... Only 81 yards, but 14 targets, 10 catches. This speaks to what I was talking about heading into this season all along. With C.D. Lamp and Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper is free to dive into the slot often, which is what he did in this game. He's free to move around and get the mismatches, which is what he did in this game. In fact, he wasn't covered by Jalen Ramsey very often in this game because they are just going to move him around. And it also speaks to, now like I said, it's week one. I'm not here to take a victory lap in week one. But I do think there's an indication that Amari Cooper getting paid as a $20 million man, there's going to be more of a focus to get him the ball. It's not to say Michael Gallup's not going to have big games. It's not to say CeeDee Lamb's not going to have big games. And he looked pretty good in his rookie debut, quite frankly. But Amari Cooper is the man as long as he's healthy in this offense. CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Lamb had six targets. Gallup had five. Both go for about 50-plus yards. Lamb had five catches, Gallup had three. Very similar stat line. Gallup, if not for a uh, pass interference call, was in position to score for a touchdown. It didn't wind up happening, so he could have had a much bigger day had that penalty come back. Had that penalty not been there, I should say. The big winner on the day was Ezekiel Elliott. And I'm not just talking about because he went 22 for 96 and a touchdown and also tacked on three catches for 31 yards and a touchdown. And had a big fan, had an Ezekiel Elliott type of day for you, returned on your top three pick in your fantasy drafts. I'm talking about because he was obviously very much featured, very much game planned into being a part of the passing game. He has been more and more a part of the passing game over the past couple of years. And even though he only had four targets in this game, there was plays designed for him in this game, the passing game. It's clear that he is going to just be the workhorse guy. And Tony Pollard is nothing more than a handcuff. 
So for all the people out there, which confused me, but for all the people out there who thought Tony Pollard could be a flex guy or somehow he was going to get in a certain allotment of touches, new. Ezekiel Elliott's the man. As far as Cowboys, from a general note, like I gave one for the Rams, I was not impressed with Callum Moore's play calling. You have all these weapons, and yet you looked stagnant. You looked like Mike McCarthy's offense, Green Bay, before he got fired. You looked like what the Dallas Cowboys did towards the end of last season. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. When suddenly all the motion disappeared, suddenly all the mismatches disappeared, the up-tempo disappeared, it looked like an offense just lined up and wanted to go play, not an offense that was taking advantage of the plethora of weapons that you had, the mismatches that you could possibly create. We'll see if that corrects itself. Or we'll see if maybe that Kellen Moore under Mike McCarthy is going to lose his edge. I hope not. I didn't think that would be the case, but that's what we saw in week one. We'll see if that corrects itself. There is going to be a sense of urgency. And Dallas got a couple losses on defense with Vander Esch going down for six, eight weeks with a broken collarbone. So that already susceptible defense just got a little bit more vulnerable. So I think they're going to be even more shootout games. They're, they're, still, they're still poised to go for a lot of shootout games. A lot, like I said, fantasy days-wise, better days are ahead for this team, without a doubt. Before we move on to the first Monday night game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New York Giants, I do want to talk to you guys about a great sponsor of the show called PropMe. They are a new innovative gaming platform and really the first of its kind. They make betting from person to person more easy than ever. So just download the app and join the fun at PropMeLLC.com today. Next up, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New York Giants, in the first Monday night game on the docket. And I have to lead off with my analysis of this game with this. As someone who has been a big-time Jason Garrett hater, I'm not alone in that, of course, but somebody who was fearful of what it could mean for the Giants fantasy players not named Saquon Barkley, I was pleasantly surprised. First of all, the Pittsburgh defense, they looked every bit of the best defense in the NFL that they looked like a season ago. They look fast. They are going to kill quarterbacks. They are going to be a tough team to run on as long as Tua is healthy. I mean, this this is this is definitely hands down from what I saw this weekend. The best defense in the NFL. I don't think there's any doubt about that in my mind as a as a unit. So, the Giants are already in a bad situation. 
This is why I made Saquon Barkley my number 14 running back on the week. And honestly, as it turns out, I might not be in the half point PPR leagues. I might not have wound up being low enough. One of the one of the decent calls that I had this week, I guess. Of course, you're always going to start Saquon Barkley. That was never the question, but I ranked him 14 in a way to let MD Nation know that he was running into a situation that was going to be very hard for him to break a big play. And if he wasn't going to break a big play, you're going to have to hope he falls into the end zone. Because I knew that in this young offensive line against this defense that has all the cohesion in the world, because except for one player, they brought back everybody, that they were going to have a tough time moving the ball on the ground. They were going to have a tough time getting Saquon Barkley the ball because this is also one of the few defenses that has the linebackers and the safeties that are athletic enough to cover Saquon Barkley coming out of the backfield, a la Devin Bush, who did a phenomenal job in this game. So those are all things that I was concerned about when it comes to Saquon Barkley. He will have better days will be ahead, so there's nothing to worry about there. And I'll add this, better days are ahead for that offensive line. Because, like I said, they are young. But there, there is some talent on that offensive line. Zietler, Hernandez, Thomas. I like a lot of their offensive linemen, but they haven't been together. They haven't had time to build chemistry. And they haven't had time to develop in some of their cases. This Giants offensive line, I think, actually will be one of the better ones come end of the season. Which is going to pay big dividends for Saquon Barkley owners. Who I know, when you look at that 15-carry, 6-yard line, you just want to be like, oh no, is this offensive line going to give him holes to run through? I know you're worried, but don't be. Don't be, because mostly because you turn around and he tied for the team high in targets with nine with Darius Slate, and he has six catchers, 60 yards. That was one of my concerns going into this season. I never doubted the volume overall, but I did question, well, is he actually, because people kept talking about you know Saquon Barkley being a candidate for 90 catches, and I questioned that. I question if it is it quite that high. Is the ceiling really that high with Daniel Jones, who didn't show an inclination to dump the ball down the running back quite as much last year? Well, he definitely looked at least beginning of the season. He's definitely going to have that inclination this year, and it looks like he's going to try to play it more safe in most instances. Now that interception was Daniel jo- was vintage Daniel Jones. It was him trying to do too much in a situation where he should have just either took the sack or thrown it out of bounds. Talking about the one where they were down the goal line, first and goal. He throws, they hold him, and he throws an interception. That definitely cost somebody some fantasy points somewhere. Because so hopefully you weren't playing Daniel Jones in this game against Pittsburgh Steelers. I had him ranked 27, so hopefully you heeded my advice on that one. But the big thing I have to say outside of Saquon Barkley will be okay moving forward is that I was impressed with Jason Garrett's play calling. I hate Jason Garrett. This is my original point before I got off my little tirade. I thought he would be predictable. I thought he would be vanilla. And he was anything but. He mixed up the formations. He went fast. He went up-tempo. I got to tell you, if you're a Barkley owner, or if you if you own any part of the Giants, you want to be like, yeah, keep running that up-tempo offense. Don't let that just be because you're playing against Pittsburgh Steelers and you knew you were going to have to do something different in order to move the ball against that defense. That better be your offense moving forward. You want to actually take advantage of the weapons you have while they're healthy. And they weren't even all healthy in this game. Golden Tate didn't play. Inactive because of the hamstring. You want to see that up-tempo offense. You have a lot of quick-striking weapons. Use them. 
So if he does that for the rest of the season, well then my my uh lower expectations on the Giants across the board, I would throw it out the window. If he if he's going to run that type of offense throughout the year, I'd throw it out the window. I would have new expectations for all the Giant fantasy players across the board if he's going to run that offense. That's how impressed I was. It, on the stat sheet, like I said, it didn't look overly impressive. You didn't watch the game. But if you actually watched the game, I was impressed with the play calling because this was a great Steelers defense they were going up against. So I was impressed. If that keeps up, then sky's the limit for some of these players. Darius Slayton was the guy who had the big game on the day. Six catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns. I love Darius Slayton. I love them coming out of college. I've been a big Darius Slayton fan. I won a couple leagues last year because of him, because I was able to plug him in and no one saw him coming. Love Darius Slayton. But before you get overly excited about your sleeper pick, or if Darius Slayton is somebody who might be available on the waiver wire because he didn't quite make the waiver wire report, but he was hovering close to that 50% mark, my word of caution to you would be this. When Golden Tate comes back, we still don't know how this target share is really going to work out. When Golden Tate was named inactive, I knew right off the bat, okay, still not a great matchup. I don't, it still wasn't looking to play a Darius Slayton or a Sterling Shepard in this game. But it definitely made a more definitive where the targets were going to go. They were going to go to Shepard. They were going to go to Slayton. And it, made it, it would make it easier. You know they're going to have a higher floor in those situations. When all three of them are out in the field, that's what I question. Because Slayton, from all indications coming out of camp, was still operating as the number three receiver as far as snaps go when both Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard were out there. I don't know why that is, because to me, I think hands down, Darius Slayton is the most talented wide receiver on that giant squad, followed closely by Sterling Shepard. Golden Tate, not only has he not been healthy, but when he's been out in the field, he's had very little impact since leaving the Lions. So I don't know why they keep messing around with the Golden Tate experiment, or why they don't just let Darius Slayton take over, and you can rotate Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate in and out, because they're basically the same wide receiver and what they do. But until we actually see with all three of them on the field, we're not going to have a real clear indication of who we can trust as far as the Giants wide receiver core goes when it comes to fantasy football purposes. So just a word of caution before you get too excited about Darius Slayton moving forward. But I, I do love him. I do love him. And if Golden Tate's, he's the only deep ball threat that they have, and Golden Tate's going to be out for any, any length of time, I, I would look to play Darius Slayton as a big home as a nice home run threat. The disappointment here, Evan Ingram, only two for nine, was targeted a couple times on a red zone, wasn't able to convert. But he did have seven targets. The volume was there. If you have a tight end who you know is a vital part of the offense and he's getting seven targets, you have nothing to worry about. Again, this is a Pittsburgh Steelers defense that not only are they great, but they are also superb against the tight end position and we're all last year. So I'm not going to be too concerned about Evan Ingram moving forward either. The targets were there. That was the important part. Moving on to the Steelers' side of the things. This broke my heart. James Conner goes down in the second quarter with an ankle injury. I was really rooting for this guy. All the reports have been how great he had looked in camp from physical. He was running all over the field. He was laying it up. That's why Michael Tom- Mike Tomlin said, he's the guy. He is our featured, he is our bell cow back. And he goes down with an ankle injury. Now, he didn't come back in the game. 
So it was significant enough for him to miss the rest of this game. We're not going to know probably until tomorrow. Again, I'm recording this Monday night. So by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, if you're following me on Twitter, at BellyUpMDFFShow, and you have the notifications turned on, we'll have that player news out for you as soon as it breaks. By the time you're listening to this podcast, we may already know what the news is on James Conner. But as of right now, we don't know yet. Before he left, he was only 6 for 9. He was only 2 for 8 in the passing game on 4 targets. I mean, he killed you. If you were hoping for a Monday night miracle or you needed James Conner just to have a decent game to pull out a win, he he killed you. He did. Not because of the, you know, a terrible performance, he didn't play very much before going down injury. It's really a shame. He's a guy I've been rooting for a lot. Here's what I'll say. I'll take a note out of though. And I'll, you know, this this will come two ways. I do think that this Giants team is going to be somewhat of a tough matchup for running backs throughout the year. Now, not a total tough matchup, and you're go- of course we're going to get into in a second about Benny Snell and his hundred yard day. But that is a pretty solid defensive line. By the end of the game, they were gassed because the Steelers had just dominated time of possession in this game. And they just kind of looked gassed by the time the fourth quarter ran around, came around, and that was when Benny Snell put up most of his damage was in that fourth quarter. And they looked like they just kind of ran out of gas at that point. But Benny Snell, 19 carries, 113 yards. He's another guy who I'm going to be fluid on because I was not a big Benny Snell fan coming out of college. I think he was nothing more than a, another bigger type plodding back all throughout last year, too. It wasn't anything I saw that made me feel like he was special in any kind of way. But to, tonight, Monday night, he looked explosive. He had a gear that at no point have I seen Benny Snell have. He looked leaner. He looked more fit. He looked more explosive. He still had the power to finish runs. And if James Conner's going to miss any significant time... You're going to want Benny Snell in your lineups. The third back was Jalen Samuels. Now, he didn't have much of an impact in this game, but that's significant to note because Anthony McFarlane was a healthy scratch. Now, if James Conner's going to miss, Anthony McFarlane will probably suit up the next game. But what that tells me is that they're not ready to use Anthony McFarlane. McFarlane is not ready to get on the field, which is kind of what I suspected. Now, I was surprised he was a scratch because I thought he would be somebody that would want to use on special teams in the return game. And maybe after Deontay Johnson had one muffed punt and another punt where he went to the ground to get the fair catch and it was like, whoa, looked like he was about to muff another one. Uh, They might reconsider exactly who's going to be returning punts and returning kicks (laughs) going into next week. I wouldn't be surprised. That That was not a good showing for Deontay Johnson as far as return game goes. Now, he did have a very good game in the receiving game. He actually led this team in targets. 10 targets, 6 catches, 57 yards. But the hero of the day was Juju Smith-Schuster. Six catches as well, 69 yards, but two touchdowns on six targets. He was able to line up in the slot again. They were able to move him around. He is a red zone target when Ben Roethlisberger is the quarterback. Plain and simple. Roethlisberger has a decent day. He had three passing touchdowns. So if you streamed him against the Giants, which he was a big streamer of mine, he still wound up giving you a pretty decent fantasy day, even though he only had 229 yards passing, tacked on nine yards rushing. 
But Juju Smith-Schuster looks poised, looks happy, looks like a guy who's ready to have a good season. And it's a contract year for him. He needs one. But the big factor is that with Deontay Johnson, with Chase Claypool, with James Washington, he's going to be allowed to line up in the slot. And like I said, I don't care if he's their number one receiver. I don't care if he's the focus of the defense. As long as he's able to move in and out from the perimeter to the slot and get mismatches, and Ben Roethlisberger's healthy, I believe Schuster could have the year that maybe a, a lot of people had for him or hoping he would have last year. I believe this could be that year. Because now it matches up. Now it lines up. He's able to play where he's best at with the quarterback that he's best with. As far as everybody else of note, James Washington scores. Chase Claypool had a big play. Eric Ebron had one catch for 18 yards. As far as the pass catchers go, the only ones I'm touching are Judas Schuster and Deontay Johnson. I'm not touching anybody else. That's where the targets are going to go. Will Washington and Claypool have a big play, a big touchdown here or there? Yeah, it's going to happen. But that's just not, it's just clear to me that's not the focal point of the offense. The focal point of the offense is running the ball and getting the ball to Johnson and Schuster. That's the focal point of this offense. And you have some positives there to take with you moving forward. Before we get into the second Monday night game, I want to give a shout-out to Trophy Smack. Commemorate your league winner in the best possible way. Trophy Smack creates trophies, belts, and rings with free engraving and shipping. Now you can get a free ring with your purchase of a trophy or belt if you use the promo code BELLYUPTODAY. And that leads us into the Denver Broncos and the Tennessee Titans. Had to wait a long time for this game. And it pretty much wound up being the game that I frankly expected it to be. A Tennessee Titan, a Denver Bronco type of game. A 16-14 slobber knocker, ugly conservative, play it close to the chest, let defense win type of ball game. Now I question on both of these teams how often they're going to be able to do this because both of these teams walked away with some serious injuries on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, on top of Von Miller already being out, A.J. Boye drops out of this game. We're going to have to see how he's doing. Adoree Jackson, just before the game, went on to IR, so he's out for at least the next three weeks. So I do wonder how often these two teams are going to be able to play this style of football, but this is in their DNA. The Tennessee Titans and Denver Broncos playing these type of 16-14 type of ugly-looking games are in their DNA. And that's why, for fantasy purposes, you have to single out the guys who definitely have the volume. Because there's fantasy players to be had on both of these teams, but there's going to be games like this where it can become frustrating for those involved. We'll start off with the Tennessee Titans side of things. Ryan Tannehill, big question, could he pick up where he left off a year ago? Could he put up the huge numbers? Could he run the offense just as well? Or was he going to just be Ryan Tannehill of old that we all saw in the Miami Dolphins and you just paid him a big contract? Well, I felt like you saw a little bit of both in this matchup for Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans. There was times where he looked like the quarterback that they loved from last year. They let him throw the ball 43 times in this game because they recognized the way to attack this Denver team was in their secondary because they were just so banged up, playing two rookies at one point during this game once A.J. Aboye went down. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. So they let him throw it, they let him open him up, and he did okay. 249 yards, two touchdowns. He only tacked on 14 yards on the ground. When it comes to Ryan Tannehill's fantasy value, he's going to have to give you at least 30 yards on the ground. you got to have that safe floor if you're going to be streaming Ryan Tannehill. Now, this is a very good, well-coached Vic Vangio defense. Even when they're missing some of their top players, it's not always going to be an issue for them. They are still going to be able to play tough defensively because that's just... That's just how good of a defensive coach he is. That's how good he is at coaching the fundamentals. So his teams always are prepared and always able to tackle. They're not going to miss very often. They're going to play schemes that do not allow teams to hit big plays on them very often. And they're going to fly to the football. And when you look at this game, Derrick Henry, he went over 100 yards. But it took him 31 carries to get there. And 31 carries for Derrick Henry. My goodness. Woo! As a fantasy owner, the only thing that you were lacking in this game was a touchdown. But if you're like, whoa, you got that big contract. Well, not the big contract. You got the franchise tag. Possibly a contract extension at some point next year. Or will he? I mean, are, is there plan just like, we're going to run Derrick Henry and use him up 30 times a game and then let him go somewhere else and not pay him? I can't imagine that would be the case because he's so ingrained in what Tennessee's identity is. But that's a lot of carries for a guy who's supposed to be your future in some capacity. But that's what you want to see as a fantasy owner. You drafted him because you wanted the volume on the ground. We know he's not, he's not going to be involved in the passing game, or at least very in a limited capacity. But rushing the ball, 31 carries, 116 yards. His average wasn't very good, which speaks to the Denver Broncos defense flying to the ball, and they did that. I mean, for the first, it seemed like, for the first half, Derrick Henry was bottled up. Now he's still 50 yards, but as you can see, it's just they kept giving him volume after volume after volume. His long run of the day was only 13 yards. They did a pretty good job bottling him up. He just got so much volume in this game. So he still brings you in a decent fantasy day, and we know touchdowns are going to come. So Derrick Henry's going to have more RB1 performances down the road. We're not going to really worry about that too much in this one. The interesting development or at least the interesting note for the Titans, really, for fantasy purposes, was the distribution of the targets, the pass catchers. Corey Davis, A.J. Brown both tied for eight targets in this game to lead the way. But Corey Davis was the one who had the better day. Seven catches, 101 yards, compared to A.J. Brown's five catches for 39 yards. Now, there was an emphasis by the Denver secondary to try to take A.J. Brown away more so. But... 
I wouldn't be too excited about Corey Davis moving forward. We've seen flashes from Corey Davis before, and then we've seen him disappear just as quickly. That's why he's not going to be on the waiver wire report. He's not going to be a guy that we're looking at. He's gonna. This is this is a player who's going to have to prove it, not just two weeks in a row, but probably three weeks in a row before he's somebody that I start to actually look at as a legitimate pickup in your leagues. And if somebody beats you to it, fine. Remember, this is still a run first team. This is a low volume passing offense. We know AJ Brown is the budding superstar, is the future of that team. We know Corey Davis is on a fran- is on his last year of his deal, not a franchise tag. On the last year of his deal, they didn't pick up his option. He's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. They don't have an investment towards Corey Davis developing at this point. They've pretty much already decided as a front office they're going to be moving on. Now, he has a lot to prove because he's got to prove that he can do it somewhere so maybe he can actually get a decent contract to a contender next year. But better days are ahead for A.J. Brown, and he's still the only wide receiver on the Tennessee Titans I'm willing to touch. He can break it at any time. He's a monster. He's going to be a red zone target. I'm not going to overreact to the Tennessee pass catchers after week one. Adam Humphreys had seven targets, six catches, 47 yards. That is a quintessential Adam Humphreys line, which makes him not fantasy value either. Like I said, the only thing that was surprising was how the targets were distributed. One, Tannehill throwing the ball 43 times in a game that was close. was a little bit surprising, but... I mean, it's not shocking when you actually take the time to look at what what the opportunities were against the Denver Broncos, where their weaknesses were in this game. It wasn't against the run. Remember, they have Jarrell Casey now, who is a very good run stuffer in the middle from the Tennessee Titans a year ago. So this is not going to be the same Denver Broncos team that had trouble stopping the run at times last year. That's not that's not as long as he's healthy. This is going to be a stout run defense. But between AJ Boye being hurt having some youth in that secondary outside of Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, attacking them on the perimeter, attacking their corners is going to be where a lot of teams are going to look to attack this Denver Bronco defense, and that's what the Tennessee Titans ultimately decided to do late in last night's game and came away with a squeaker because Steven Koskowski can't make kicks. I'm going to be really curious to see come Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, if we don't wind up seeing somebody signed by the Tennessee Titans at the kicker position. I know he's coming off a hip surgery, but you can't miss three field goals in a game that very well, it could have cost you the game. There's no way, no chance, that they don't at least bring somebody in. The only other guy I want to talk about real quick and just touch on him is Janu Smith, one of my sleeper tight ends, one of my streamer tight ends of the year, a guy who I think is going to be hovering around that low tight end one area by the season's end. He had four catches for 36 yards. He did have the touchdown. He had seven targets. That's the key. Talk about this all the time. If you have a tight end who is somebody that you can trust to get you five, six, seven plus targets in a game, you have a tight end who is going to have the possibility to be at least a low end tight end one minimum. Because if you're getting that kind of volume, you're going to be involved in the red zone. If you get a touchdown, you're automatically competing for a top 12 position. And if you get anything on top of that, you're definitely inside the top 10. That's kind of what happened to Janu Smith yesterday. Four catches, 36 yards, nothing to be great about, but he gets the touchdown. And he was involved in the offense in every facet of the game. He was out there for almost every single play. So the idea, my projection of Janu Smith being a tight end who you're going to want to have on your team as a sleeper 
looks to be paying off at least for week one anyway. On the Broncos' side of the ball, the big thing we have to talk about right off the bat, Philip Lindsay, he went down with an injury. He went down with turf toe. They are calling it mild, and they are optimistic that he's not going to miss much time. So we'll see what happens there. In the meantime, Royce Freeman would probably step in to be the number two back, but this will turn into even more Melvin Gordon's backfield than it already was yesterday. And there was about a 60-40 split, a 60-35 split between Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay yesterday before Lindsay went down, which is about what we kind of anticipated to be the split between the two. Neither one were heavily involved in the passing game. Melvin Gordon did have three targets to Lindsay's one. That's something we expect to continue. Melvin Gordon to be more involved in the passing game. Only had three catches for eight yards. Only had 15 carries for 78 yards. I shouldn't say only. That was a five yards a carry. That's pretty decent. And he had the rushing touchdown. So Melvin Gordon came through as your RB2 that you drafted him to be last night. Against a Tennessee defense that's pretty tough. They're a pretty tough defense. They're a well-coached defense. They don't have the talent that's necessarily going to blow you away, whether it be in their front seven or in their secondary, but they're a well-coached team with Mike Grable. Kind of like the Denver Broncos. Even if they don't have the -the over-the-top talent because you know they're so well-coached because you know they're going to have the fundamentals, it's always going to be a little bit difficult to move the ball. And boy, the Broncos ran into that last night. Not having Cortland Sutton, they were hurting. Drew Locke was hurting for that go-to wide receiver when he was at a pinch and needed them the most. He went 22 of 33 with 216 yards and a touchdown in this game, tacked on five yards rushing. I didn't expect him to have a good game, especially Corton Sutton. It's not like he was somebody who was a streaming-worthy quarterback to begin with. The jury's still going to be out on Drew Locke as we move forward. The only question I've ever had going into this season was, do I trust him to get Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy the ball? Can he get more than one guy the ball? I think that's the biggest question. Because especially when you have to, know, you have to throw in Noah Fant, too, who actually had the big day receiving with Cortland Sutton gone. Five catches, 81 yards, a touchdown on six targets. So he looked pretty good. Was able to take advantage of there being no Cortland Sutton as the main deep ball threat. Jerry Judy, to no surprise, with no K.J. Hamler and no Cortland Sutton, was the big target on the day with eight Four catches, 56 yards. He actually had a bad drop. Not something we're going to see Jerry Judy do very often. But I will say this. When you're judging rookie wide receivers, he comes as advertised. He was getting great breaks. He was getting separation. I thought of all the rookie wide receivers, even though there was at times an impressive performance by Henry Ruggs and could have been more had he not gotten injured. I think of all the rookie wide receivers, he looked like he was the most ready to make an impact in the NFL this season. Not that C.D. Lamb won't, not that Henry Ruggs won't, not that eventually Justin Jefferson, who was almost invisible in that game, won't himself as well, not that Jalen Rager won't, who played the most snaps for the Philadelphia Eagles, even though he only had one catch that game. I think they're all going to make a big impact, but Jerry Judy looks to me like he's already a veteran wide receiver, and I'm excited to see what happens when him and Cortland Sutton and K.J. Hamler are actually all out in the field, and that's when we'll get a real feel for Drew Locke and a real feel for this Pat Shermer offense. But in the meantime... Sutton does have a chance to play next week. We'll keep our eyes on that. Make sure you're following us on the Twitter feed at BellyUpMDFFShow for all those player news update notifications that I give you. But if he does miss, Noah Fant, somebody you continue to play, 
Jerry, I'm okay with Jerry Judy as a low end wide receiver three and half point full point PPR leagues because there's going to be volume there until Cortland Sutton's able to come back. And with Philip Lindsay out, Melvin Gordon, somebody who might rise up to being a mid level RB two with decent upside. Because he could be a bell cow a little bit more. Not that Roy Freeman's bad, and I won't be surprised if Roy Freeman gets mixed in to a certain degree, but he's not going to be mixed in to the, the degree that Philip Lindsay was. So that would, in turn, make Melvin Gordon a guy who's a threat to get 18 to 20 carries and is a threat to get about five to six targets, making him a bell cow until Philip Lindsay comes back. That's what I would expect to see. So he's somebody who might be giving you a little extra value than what you drafted him at early on in the season, right off the bat. That pretty much wraps up the late Monday night game. On the other side, we have the waiver wire report. Most important part of this episode. But first, I want to encourage you guys to check out Jazz Sportsbook and Casino. They have a ton of features like same-day payouts, live streaming, live betting, and available 24-7. So use the promo... BUS150 for 150% free play up to $1,000 when you sign up today. So just go to jazzsports.ag today and win your next big bet. Now it is time for my favorite part of the show, which is the waiver wire report. And like I said earlier this episode, we have a heavier waiver wire report heading into week two than I can really remember in some time. And these are just based off of surprise performances, based off of injuries, based off of guys that I'm shocked that are even available, quite frankly. And we'll go through this and I'll, I'll, I'll say who I would give up a top priority for, who I would give up some fad budget for. And also some guys are like, look, if you can get them, great. If not, I wouldn't go out of my way to go get them. But kicking off the list is Mike Williams. Now remember, when I do this list, it's less than 50% owned. And it's on average throughout all the major platforms. So I take ESPN, Yahoo, NFL, CBS, put them all together, and I average out who's available in more than 50% of leagues. So if they're less than 50% owned, then they can qualify for the list. Mike Williams at 48%. I was a little bit surprised by that at first until I remembered because a lot of people drafted later this year due to the pandemic that a lot of people drafted him during the time frame where we thought he might miss two to four weeks of the season. And he was already somebody who was going into double-digit rounds because people were worried about what the offense was going to look like with Tyrod Taylor as the quarterback. Were they going to be aggressive enough down the field? So he was already slipping because of that reason. So there were quite a number of drafts where he actually went undrafted. Or some leagues where he did get drafted, maybe earlier during training camp, this injury comes out, they decide to make a move to go pick up somebody else. So he's 48%. He's only 48% owned. So he's 52% available. Go check out if you can get Mike Williams. Because what I saw out of that game was that it's not necessarily Keenan Allen leading the way. But what I did see was a Tyrod Taylor who does throw a nice deep ball, always has and was willing to throw it up and let Mike Williams go make plays. Now, how lo- how much longer Mike Williams will be able to hold up, given the couple of times he got left out to dry, a couple of times he got knocked down from some high passes from Tyrod Taylor, I don't know. There was a couple of times in that game where I went, whoa, 
how did you get up with the shoulder injury that you have? How did you get up after that hit? So hopefully that doesn't continue. But it looked to me like Mike Williams is a home run threat in the truest sense of the word, and that Tyrod is going to look to him and give him opportunities down the field as long as he's out there. And from a physical standpoint, I couldn't even tell that he was injured, frankly. He didn't look hindered in any capacity. So Mike Williams is somebody who I'm looking to go get. Now, because he's a wide receiver and there are so many available, and you and because wide receiver didn't get hit as hard in the injuries as some of the running backs did in week one, although guys who have Kenny Galladay and, and Mike Evans might be looking for other options, who knows. I'm not going to give up a top priority for him. I'm not going to go crazy on my fab budget. Maybe 5-10% if I really am looking for a wide receiver that I need to a big boom from. But I'm not going to go out of my way to get Mike Williams, even though he's definitely somebody who I want to look at, who I, do, I definitely want to go get if you can. He's more of a guy that I would wait to after the waiver wire period is over and see if I can pick him up after the fact. But I'm not going to... Or if I have... You know, if I'm in the bottom tier league of the waiver wire priority already anyway, then I will probably give up that spot for him if I'm already down the bottom half of the league. I would go after Mike Williams if I had the roster spot to do so. The the guy who I am going to look to spend a little bit on is Malcolm Brown. This shocked me. It didn't shock me that he was less than fifty percent owned. It shocked me that Malcolm Brown is only on average seven. owned. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised because he did go widely undrafted in some of the drafts that I was in. Well, not the drafts I was in because I was drafting Malcolm Brown in the back end of of drafts. I knew that for at least week one, for at least the beginning of the season, that Malcolm Brown was going to lead the way in targets or at least be a big factor of the rushing attack. I also knew, or at least felt like, or projected, that Malcolm Brown was going to be the goal line back for most of, if not all, of the season. I was counting on that. And now it just got put into fruition. I got put onto the field against the Dallas Cowboys. He's going to be a popular waiver wire pickup. Because of all the Rams running backs, of all the questions that we have that comes with that backfield... Malcolm Brown's the one guy that we have at least a clear-cut idea on. Do we know how many carries he's always going to get? No. Do we know if he's ever going to be involved in the passing game after week one? No. But we do know he's the goal line guy. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because even before he took over in that game, in a sense, when Cam Akers, beginning of the game, Cam Akers was a starter... As soon as they got inside the 10-yard line, Cam Akers was out, Malcolm Brown was in. That's who they trust at the goal line. They trust him to punch it in. And the fact is that he converted. The fact is he usually does convert in those situations. Remember last year, the few opportunities he got, week one especially, he converted. They trust him in that situation. 
Malcolm Brown is somebody we got, and now he looks at somebody who actually has a ceiling to possibly get the most carries out of that backfield in a team that looks like they want to be, dare I say, run first. So Brown is somebody who definitely you need to go after. You definitely need to go after him if you're a Cam Akers owner because if, if nothing else, if something happens to Cam Akers, then this suddenly becomes Malcolm Brown's backfield with Daryl Henderson getting passing down work. So you definitely have to go after him in that situation. Fab budget-wise, I'm still not going to break the bank here. Let's be clear. There's still a, a path where Cam Akers could take over at some point if his talent just shines through at some point this season. So I'm not going to break the bank on here, but am I going to spend 10%, 15%, especially if I'm somebody who maybe had James Conner and I can't get Benny Snell, or if I'm somebody who had Miles Sanders and we're not really sure exactly when he's going to be 100% healthy and good to go and, and hamstring injuries have a, have a chance to crop up and you don't really want Boston Scott to be your handcuff. There's a number of situations after this week where I'm going to want Malcolm Brown, Le'Veon Bell owner. There's no handcuff in New York that you want. You don't want Frank Gore. You don't want Michael P. Ryan. I'd rather go after Malcolm Brown to replace my Le'Veon Bell. So there's certain situations throughout the league this year, this week, that I would want to have Malcolm Brown moving forward as somebody that I could plug and play in my flex. Will it be this week? Probably not against the Philadelphia Eagles. That's a bad matchup for him in particular. But moving forward, yeah. I know at least he's going to get the goal line work. I'll give up maybe not a top three, but a top five priority. I'll give that up for Malcolm Brown this week if it's something that I need. The next guy should be a no-brainer. That's Benny Snell. I would probably go after Benny Snell even harder than Malcolm Brown if we find out James Conner is going to miss significant time. Again, follow me on Twitter at BellyUpMDFFShow because we'll keep you up to date on that. If we find out by Tuesday night before you have to close down your claims for your waiver wire that James Conner's going to miss multiple weeks, Benny Snell might become the number one pickup of the week. First of all, he's only 14.6% owned. He was not a popular handcuff because there was a lot of talk about Anthony McFarlane being involved. Jalen Samuels didn't get cut. But Tomlin was pretty clear from the get-go that Benny Snell was going to be the number two guy, that he was going to be James Conner's handcuff. And after the game he just had against the New York Giants... I like what I saw. You should probably like what you saw. Benny Snell, somebody that is going to get 20 carries. This team's still going to run the football. 14.6% owned. Widely available. If I'm a James Conner owner, I'm probably spending 30% of my budget minimum. Minimum. To get Benny Snell on my team. Maybe higher. I'm a James Conner owner. Because it won't just be for this injury. It'll be for the next one. So I'm going to make sure I get him if I'm a James Conner owner. I'm going to give up my top priority for him. I'm going to give up my top priority for him whether I'm a Conner owner or not. Because this is somebody, like I said, again, if we find out Conner's going to miss multiple weeks because of his ankle issue, he's a flex play, at least. Possibly an RB2 depending on matchup moving forward. Do I think Connor's going to miss the entire season? No, so don't get me twisted on that. But if it's multiple weeks, he's not just somebody who would have value now. He'll have value, like I said, for the next injury. And if Connor's getting hurt like this already in week one, it's going to be another multiple injury year. 
James Robinson. Now, this is somebody who I'm not going to give up a top priority for. I'm not going to spend fab budget for, but it is somebody that if I can pick up for free, I'll do it. James Robinson, 29% owned, had 16 carries. Nobody else in the backfield even had carries in that game with Jacksonville. But look at his stat line at the end of the day. 16 carries, 69 yards, no touchdowns, wasn't involved in the passing game. He is pigeonholed in the carry-only back. Chris Thompson's going to be more involved in the passing game. I still think Chris Thompson's the running back that you want to own in Jacksonville. But if James Robinson's somebody who's going to get those carries, and we know Jay Gruden likes to run the football, whether his team's good or bad. We know he does. Then he's somebody who's going to have some flex value. When they get inside the goal line, it's going to go to him. Now, the problem is the reason why I'm not going to give up my top priority, the reason why I'm not going to spend any fad budget on him and I'm only going to grab him if he is, in fact, free is because this isn't a team that's going to score a lot. This isn't going to be a team that's going to be in the red zone a lot. So he's not going to have a lot of those opportunities, even though that will be his opportunity when those do present themselves. So that's why you have to kind of weigh these things out. But he's somebody who has value heading into week two. Sammy Watkins is the next guy. Felt dirty putting him on my list. But after that game against the Houston Texans, how do you not have Sammy Watkins on your waiver wire list? He's 45% owned. That means he's 55% available on average. He led the team in targets. Obviously, it's not always going to happen. But the fact that he was featured in that game, the fact that he's definitely ahead of Mecole Hartman on the depth chart, The fact that he, from a physical standpoint, right now he's healthy and looked good. Looked a little bit quicker than he did last year. Looked a little bit more motivated than he did last year. And you're with the Chiefs offense and you got Patrick Mahomes. You're somebody to pick up. You're somebody who belongs on your team as a wide receiver for who you can plug and play when bye weeks come along. You can plug and play in these injury situations and take the chance on. Again, is he somebody who I'm going to spend a top priority for? Am I going to spend a fat budget for it? No. He's somebody that if I can get for free, I will. Because it's still going to be inconsistent because there's so many weapons to go through on that team. And because it's Sammy Watkins. He did this to us last year where he went off in week one and we never saw him again for the rest of the season. So I'm not going to be the one who winds up spending resources on Sammy Watkins. But if I can grab him for nothing, I'm going to look to do it. Chase Edmonds, if you're a Kenyon Drake owner, do not walk, run, get Chase Edmonds, get your handcuff. First of all, he was involved to a significant amount, I would say, in that in that game against the San Francisco 49ers. He did find the end zone. But second of all, Kenyon Drake is clearly not 100% as of this moment. Now, that's not to say he won't get healthier as long as he doesn't re-aggravate something, but that's the whole key. And one of my trepidations about Kenyon Drake heading into this season. I did have him ranked in the second round like everybody else did, but one of my trepidations about him as far as what his ceiling was, because some people want to make the argument that he could be an RB1, that he could be a first-round talent, and my argument against that was we have never seen Kenyon Drake in a situation where he was the bell cow back. Every time he was supposed to be, it never wound up working out that way. And he's not a guy who's built in a way that makes me feel confident that he will definitely make it 16 games. So he is somebody that I think is an injury risk. He's definitely not 100% now because he didn't have the explosiveness that we saw last year in this week one. It was noticeable to me. And we all know that he was coming out of the boot 
from training camp a couple weeks ago. So we all kind of have an idea that he might not have been 100%. But Chase Edmonds looks good. Chase Edmonds, they will they trust Chase Edmonds. They will lean on him. He fits his offense as well. Do not walk, run if you're a Kenyon Drake owner. Get Chase Edmonds before it's too late. Now, if you are not a Kenyon Drake owner, I'm not going to necessarily look to go to Chase Edmonds this week unless I just have a ro- I just happen to have a roster spot to burn because he is a, val- a, val- a valuable handcuff to me down the road. But I have to have a roster spot to burn. If you're a Kenyon Drake owner, I might spend 5% of my fab budget just to make sure I get him. I won't give up a top five priority for him, but I'll give up a bottom six, a bottom seven. I'm making sure I get him. I'm not taking chances. Paris Campbell is another interesting wide receiver to me. And this is why when it comes to these wide receivers that I'm talking about, we have talked about and we'll talk about in a second, why I'm not going to spend anything on them, whether it be a priority or a fab budget, because there's so many of them that after this week, I have clear-cut paths in my eye, in my mind of what it could, they could be this season, what their value could be, and why they're valuable to pick up in some capacity. Campbell's one of those guys. They stayed true. Campbell was a slot receiver. I wanted to see, it was like, okay, is he really the slot receiver on the depth chart? But when it gets in the game time, they're going to rotate him and T.Y. Hilton in and out because they want to get Hilton featured. That's what I was curious about. They didn't do that. Paris Campbell stayed in the slot. T.Y. Hilton stayed on the perimeter. And I talked about this in yesterday's show when we, when we went over the recap when I talked about Phillip Rivers. Whoever that slot receiver is, that's going to be the featured guy. It's not going to be the perimeter guy. It's going to be the slot guy. If Paris Campbell's just going to plan himself as a slot guy, well, then he might be looking at a hell of a target share that we were anticipating going into this season. And again, I have my questions about Paris Campbell because he's very raw coming out of college. He didn't get to play a lot last year. So to me, in my eyes, he's essentially a rookie again this season. And I wasn't sure where his development was because, again, we didn't really get a good look in the training camp and he wasn't somebody who was talked about a lot. But he got separation yesterday. Now, granted, it was against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that's a secondary that I think most teams are going to be able to take advantage of in a bigger way than what the the uh, Colts did. But he got separation. He looked pretty good. And Phillip Rivers clearly had a rapport with him heading into week one. At 29% owned, he's somebody who I'm also taking a look at. Because he could be looking at some volume that we just weren't anticipating before. The other guy right below him, Jalen Rager, 28% owned. I was surprised by this because this is a guy who had a lot of hype. But he's only 28% owned on average right now. He's somebody who I'm picking up. He played more snaps than Deshaun Jackson this past week, which I was blown away by because this was somebody who was barely even active heading into this week. Talked about he was going to have a limited snap count. Now, in the stat line, he had four targets, only one catch for the big 55-yarder. But he played more snaps. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside wasn't a thing. Like I said and like I said yesterday's show, until Alshon Jeffrey comes back, this is Jalen Rager, Deshaun Jackson, and Greg Ward are going to be their top three receivers. Rager's just going to play more and more as the season wears on because they spent the first rounder on him. They want him to play. They want him to be their guy. They want to have two speedsters and Alshon Jeffrey when he comes back. That's what they want to have on the field. So Jalen Rager is somebody who I'm picking up and I know who's going to be a boomer bust start for me, especially when you get into those bye weeks if I need to hit a home run. Next up, Dallas Goddard, 27% owned. He's a streaming tight end. 
until Alshon Jeffrey comes back, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz will be the go-to red zone targets for Carson Wentz. And Miles Sanders isn't a big back in his own right. They are just as likely to throw the ball when they get inside the 10 as they are to run the ball. Just is just as likely. So until Alshon Jeffrey gets back, I am comfortable playing Dallas Goddard as a tight end if you've been streaming tight ends going into this season to begin with. But I'm not paying anything for him. I think you're going to find other streaming tight ends down the road that you can find that you'll be able to go to just as much. Like the next guy I'm going to talk about, Janu Smith, 21% owned. And he's somebody, unlike Dallas Goddard, he doesn't have to back up anybody. And I think he's in a great offense and a great situation with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown. I think he's even in a situation where he could wind up being the second most targeted guy by the time the season's over. So he's one of my top streaming options, and he has more of the season long than I'm looking for. So I would look for Janu Smith before I would look for Dallas Goddard, but that's the big reason why I wouldn't spend anything on both of them because I think you can get one of them for free, at least, if not both. Jared McKinnon, more of a deeper waiver wire pickup of the week because the one thing I want people to keep in mind is that we didn't really get to see Tevin Coleman in this game because of sickle cell. I mean, it was a question if he was going to be active. He did wind up being active, but he didn't play very much. Largely had to do with the air quality at the stadium. There's a really good chance that Tevin Coleman's going to be much more involved heading into week two. But from what we saw, Shanahan definitely wants to use McKinnon in the passing game. The 49ers lack receiving weapons. So McKinnon is somebody in half-point, full-point PPR leagues. He can be a little bit of a home-run threat because we know he has ex- he has explosiveness. He looked fast. That was a big question of mine. Was he still going to be as explosive as he was, being that it's been two years since he's played football? And he did. He looked good from a physical standpoint. How long he'll stay healthy, who knows? But he's an interesting little play to pick up, knowing that he's going to get some run, knowing that injuries to Raheem Moser and Tevin Coleman can happen at any time, knowing that Kyle Shanahan loves to sprinkle every running back in, any one of these running backs that have flex on any given day. So in half-point football PPR leagues, which it comes to Jerry McKinnon, who he clearly wants to use in the passing game, if nothing else, he's somebody who has a little bit of value to me there. The last guy I'm going to talk about, again, not somebody who I'm going to go out and give up my top priority for or give up fat budget for, but somebody who I am going to keep my eye on and if I have a roster spot to burn this week, I might go ahead and pick him up. That's Russell Gage. He's only 3.8% owned, so he's probably available in every single one of your leagues. But after watching this past week of him getting 12 targets, tying Calvin Ridley, tying Julio Jones with the most targets on that team, there have been a lot of positive reports about him coming out of training camp. He looked like a better wide receiver than what we've seen over the past few years. He looked like a guy who had taken a next step up in his development in that matchup. Now, again, I'm big on they are going to get Hayden Hurst involved, and those two are going to kind of go back and forth. But if, if they're truly going to be comfortable using Russell Gage as that third receiver and not just have him, not to just to have him out on the field, but to have somebody that, they, that Matt Ryan really feels like he can go to and they can really utilize and feature in some capacity, well, like I said before, this Atlanta defense doesn't look any better than it did last year they're going to be in a lot of shootout games. A lot of games where Matt Ryan might have to throw the ball 50-plus times. Give me pieces of that for fantasy purposes. Give me that piece of that volume. Again, not somebody I'm going out of my way for, but in a deeper league, 
Russell Gage being so widely available in that situation, I'm going to take a chance on it. I am. That wraps up the waiver wire report. That wraps up the show. We're off tomorrow. We will be back on Thursday and Friday. And remember, we'll be back streaming on Thursday and Friday for our preview episodes. That means we'll be available on YouTube, on Sportscaster, on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Twitch. All will be available to you guys for you to check it out. We're always available to you on your favorite podcast app. Just look for the Belly Up Sports' MD's Fantasy Football Show. Make sure you're following us on social media at Belly Up MDFF Show. Make sure you hit us up so you can get on the mailbag segment on both Thursday and Friday by contacting us on social media at Belly Up MDFF Show or calling us 609-362-2480 on the MD Nation hotline. Either way, we'll take your questions, we'll take your comments, we'll put them on the air, we'll talk about them, and even if we don't put your question on the air, do not fret. I will still answer you, and I'm still going to help you out because I'm always here for you guys. Hopefully, my rankings will be out by Wednesday. If not, they'll be out by Thursday afternoon on bellyupfantasysports.com. And until Thursday, guys, everyone stay safe, stay happy, and we'll see you then for week two. Thank you for listening to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, team ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.